Thanks, Kenny. Thanks, Mark. And thank you for having me back a second time. It really is good to be here. I know as a, a speaker, when you come to a church, it's kind of the token gesture you've got to say that it's nice to be back. But I do sincerely mean that. It is really nice. My wife, Amy, and daughter, Jessica, we really loved our time here earlier on. It was not, sorry, last year, um, round about Easter, going into summertime, I think it was. And they would have loved to be here tonight. But as Mark hinted, my wife is due a second baby um, at the start of March. And and she's a really good pregnancy, but just starting to feel quite tired. Um, and a bit achy around the hips, I think. Is that, that right? People who have had babies in the room? Yeah, all say aye. So, and Jessica's had a busy day as well, so Jessica's going to uh, get to bed. But it is, it's really good to be back. And I want to ask you, right at the start, and I'm pretty sure everyone will put their hand up to this, and do put your hand up, I'll ask you to put your hand up. Um, a time when you've been about to put a pair of jeans, trousers in the wash, you've emptied the pockets and you've found a fiver or a tenner or a twenty that you forgot about. Hands up if that's ever happened to you. And hands up um, if it's uh, been a fiver, if it's been a tenner, a twenty, a twenty, good. Anyone had a fifty? Yeah, you deal, you, you deal in fifties, Mark, generally, yeah. Uh, blow your nose with them. Um, but it's a brilliant feeling, isn't it, when that happens? When you have um, money that you had, you had, you had, it was yours, you had it, but you forgot you had it, and it's such a great, it's a remarkable feeling, actually, when you get that boost, and all of a sudden you just think, you're loaded, because you found money you didn't have, and you're like, well, champagne for everyone, um, whatever you want, yeah, I've got it, I've just found a fiver. It's such a good feeling. Money that you had, but you had kind of forgotten you had. Treasure, I suppose. And the other night, when I was having dinner with Amy and Jessica, we, I'm not always in for dinner at the same time due to work shifts and all that, but we, when, I, when we are all having dinner at the same time together, we try and do a, a devotion together after, just a very quick thing that is sometimes hard to get Jessica's concentration to, but it's a wee story and some verses. And in a biblical sense, we read a passage that to me, without sounding disrespectful, it was like me finding a fiver in a pair of jeans that I didn't know I had. Because we read a, a chunk of scripture that's always been there, it's always been in my Bible, but I was reminded of it and it came back to my attention. It was like me finding treasure that I'd forgotten I had. And the joy I felt when we closed the Bible, and I think I just uttered the words, man, that was a great few verses there. I'd forgotten about those ones, and they are relatively well-known verses. But the joy I got from that was remarkable on a much grander scale. And we can sometimes forget the brilliance of what we have got in Jesus Christ. We have sometimes forget the grand scale of what has actually been done for us as people who have been saved by Jesus. And it's great that we can be reminded of that. And I just want to read the verses that I read that night. I think it was Wednesday, Wednesday or Thursday night. And it's from Ephesians. And we'll get to the passage tonight. But I just thought this was a good way in to tonight. Ephesians chapter 2. And it's verses 1 to 10. 
And I'm reading it from the New Living Translation because that was the version we read it the other night and I just thought it was, the way it was put uh, was really effective. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world obeying the devil, the commander of the powers un, in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. And what an amazing truth, right at the start of tonight, to... Remember that we have gone from being dead in sin to alive in Christ and therefore God's masterpiece. We are something God delights in. We are united with Christ. And straight away, we can think, this passage tonight that we're going to look at is about not worrying. And it's about seeking first the kingdom of God. And when you read that passage in Ephesians, how can you, how could you worry How could you not seek God's kingdom first when you know that, that God has brought you from a position of being dead in sin and having no hope whatsoever to being united with Christ, a masterpiece in God's eyes through his grace and mercy and ready to do all the things that he has planned for us. That's that's the, the reality tonight, brothers and sisters. That's the treasure that we have, that we sometimes forget we have in the back pocket of our Bibles. That is what we have. Matthew 6, verse 25 to 37. Let's now read the verses that we have plan to focus on tonight. Therefore, I I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, as we saw a lot of in the video there. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor 
or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of those. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Michael Schumacher. How many people have heard of Michael Schumacher? Hands up. German racing driver. Do you know that on the 3rd of January, just there, he turned 50? Do you know that on the 29th of December, just there, just at the the back end of 2018, it was the fifth anniversary of his tragic accident. Now, just to give you a bit of context about Michael Schumacher, who knows, is anyone really into F1 here? Yeah, okay, can you remember, sir, sirs, um, how many world championship titles Michael Schumacher? Seven. How many is that compared to Lewis Hamilton? Okay. Four or five, I think, Lewis Hamilton has got. So there we go. There gives you a bit of context. Schumacher, context. Schumacher, seven. Hamilton, four. I thought five, but maybe it's four. But anyway, a couple, two or three more. And then how many Grand Prix wins for Schumacher? 91. 91. So you, were, you had snoozed in the couch for 20 of them. <laughs> um, Hamilton has 73. So that puts into context the success Michael Schumacher had compared to Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton might gradually catch up. Of course he might. But on the 29th of December, it was the fifth anniversary of when Michael Schumacher had been in the French Alps skiing and he had slipped over, not when he was going down a slope skiing, it was something really innocuous. He'd slipped and bumped his head and had a brain hemorrhage and entered a coma. And virtually for the last five years, I think in the last few months, there's been a bit more signs of uh, conscious activity from him. But virtually for the last five years, he's been um, no activity, on a bed, in a coma. And the 29th of December was the fifth anniversary of that accident. He's still been kept behind closed doors in a 50 million pound mansion on the, 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 the shores of the shore of Lake Geneva and not many people get to see him um, and it's all very hush-hush about how he's doing. And someone said, one who lived life so fast has hurt himself in circumstances that are so innocuous. And why tell that story? The first reason for me telling that story is because it re-emphasizes a point that I'm sure Mark, who I think spoke to you last week, would have made in that possessions and money and titles and Grand Prix wins can quickly fade away when something massive like that happens, something that puts everything into perspective. And therefore, possessions and money, like you would have talked about last week, should not be king in your life. And secondly, it highlights the fragility of life. 
It highlights the fragility of life and how we should make sure the time that we are on this earth that we should spend it in the most worthwhile way possible. And of course, as we'll look at tonight, seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness being the most worthwhile way possible. If you look at this very, very simply, this passage, which is really how I'm coming to it tonight, very, very simply, because I'm a simple-minded person. I just look at things simply most of the time. The two key messages in this passage, the first one is do not worry, and the second one is seeking God's kingdom first and his righteousness before everything else. And the reason, if you remember back to just that first passage in Ephesians, the reason I read that is because when we have that reassurance from what that Ephesians 2 passage says, we should really be in a position where those two things, those two messages from this passage shouldn't be a problem. We shouldn't need to worry. And we shouldn't need to be told to seek God's kingdom first because it should be a natural reaction if we know we have been brought from dead to sin to alive in Christ that we don't need to worry anymore. And of course, if that's the transformation that God has made for us, that we are willing to make him number one and seek him above everything else. But it's hard not to worry. And we've got to be completely honest about that. And I've got to be completely honest about that because I worry about a lot of things. And worrying about a lot of things for me normally looks like having something big to do at work maybe, or having a a journey like we reflected on in the golf situation, or seeing your daughter or your son or whatever it is in your situation, being young and vulnerable and what they might face, or seeing your wife about to give birth, getting close and wondering about all the possibilities and hoping everything goes surely, eh, smoothly. It's hard not to worry. And you all have things in your head that may be coming up this week that you may be finding it hard not to be worried about. Worry will probably, on a very practical level, I noted down four things that it will probably do. It will probably damage your health because it probably isn't good for your mind, good for your heart. It will probably disrupt your productivity because instead of spending your time well and putting your energy into the tasks that you're supposed to be doing, you can If you're anything like me, you can be consumed by worry sometimes in a way that means that you you just sit and think about it and end up nothing gets done. Sometimes worry can make you treat others negatively because you're worried and maybe that worry makes you short-tempered or um, irritable. You can then lash out at others because of what you're worried about. But most importantly it can reduce your ability to trust in God and it can spoil that relationship. And we read in this verse about, in this passage about not needing to worry about what you will wear or what you will eat because if God looks after the flowers and if God looks after the birds of the air, of course he is going to look after our needs as well. Someone said that worry immobilizes, but genuine concern moves you to action. So worry is maybe not good, but being concerned about something in a way that makes you have action towards it and improve that situation is better. And I don't want to confuse worry with planning either, because there'll probably be a lot of planners in this 
congregation, people who like to plan ahead, set goals, make schedules, um, have diary arrangements. And we shouldn't confuse worrying with planning because planning is a good thing to do. When we worry, I think we should look at the example of Hannah. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Hannah is not able to have any children at this stage anyway. And her husband is Elkanah and Hannah is distraught that she has not been able to have any children with him. And we'll break in at chapter 1 verse 12. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli, this was the high priest that um, was watching her, observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away, her, on her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah, who was her husband, lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. When you are worried, pour out your soul to the Lord. That is the best thing that I can say from this platform tonight in terms of advice. Do what Hannah did. The concern for her, the worry for her was not having a child, something that she so wanted. So often worries can be about something we so want to happen, but we're not sure if it will. Pour out your soul to the Lord. That's what Hannah did. And notice this, that when she did that, when she had prayed and committed that to God, in verse 18 it says, then she went away and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Once Hannah knew that her worry, the thing she was anxious about, the thing she so wanted was in God's hands, she was able to go away, eat something, and go on with whatever her business was, and therefore not let it immobilize her, not let it um, destroy everything else that was going on in her life. And what happened? The Lord remembered her. The Lord remembered her, and she eventually gave birth to Samuel. And in this passage we've got in Matthew chapter 6, there's another phrase that really, really reminds me of that passage in 1 Samuel. It is in verse 32, and it is four words, your heavenly Father knows. Your heavenly Father knows. And in this context, it's saying He knows what you need, and He will make sure you have what you need. And let me just say, as we move away from this, as we wrap up this this topic of do not worry. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. 
And therefore, rest assured in that. Pour out your soul to the Lord about it. Have an assurance that he knows what you need. And go about what your responsibilities are in day-to-day life. Content that it is in God's hands. And he will answer that in his timing. If God, again going back to that Ephesians passage at the start, if God has taken us from a position of being dead to sin to being alive in Christ, then he is not going to ignore details in our lives. People often say, God, the God that we serve is a God who cares about the details. And also note that it said about Hannah, her face was no longer downcast. Live with joy. That passage in Ephesians is often titled, and it says in the passage, made alive in Christ. Live your life with joy. And let the joy outweigh the worry, because you know that worry, whatever it may be about, however insignificant or however significant that worry is, you know and you confidently know it is in God's hands. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So easy just to let that roll off your tongue and much harder to put that into action. Why is it harder to put it into action? Because we have so many things in our lives competing for first place. So many things. I sometimes get really concerned about the amount of time I spend looking at my phone. It's terrible sometimes. It's terrible sometimes. Someone, I heard someone that was uh, speaking last week at our church, he, he referred to a fact that every time you get a notification on your phone, no matter what that no- notification is, what app that is, um, every notification takes up a minute and a half of your time. Because even if you just swipe it open to look at it, you almost then dip into other apps you've got on your phone and you check something else on your phone while you've got it unlocked. And all these bits of time add up during the day and you've spent so much time putting your phone in first place and seeking, seeking that. And there are career goals, there are family responsibilities, there are... Uh, Hobbies, sports, for me particularly, probably. There are other interests, all competing for that first place in our life. And you know what it is for you that you find hardest to put to second or third or fourth and let God in first. That desire we need to have to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, to put God first in our life, to fill our thoughts and mind with the desires that that Christ has for us, to take his character as our pattern for life and stick to it, to serve and obey him in everything, to not let people and objects and goals and desires shove Christ out the way. Last year, at the start of 2018, I committed to a a New Year's resolution to try and do some sort of run every second day of the year, every alternate day of the year, some sort of run, because I wasn't playing so much football anymore. Um, 
I was starting to see how overweight I was getting. And yeah, that's supposed to be a joke, because no matter what I eat, I can never put on any weight, which is a nice problem to have, I suppose. Um, but I thought, I'm not playing so much football. Um, I need to do something. And there were times during the year where I just could not be bothered running, but I had to actively make myself do a run on those alternate days. And sometimes it felt rubbish having to make myself do it, but you kind of made yourself do it because you wanted to stick to what you'd committed to. And if those of us that are in this room have committed to following Christ as best we can, sometimes we're going to have to actively push ourselves to make sure that pursuit of God actually happens. And sometimes that's going to take a bit of discipline. And sometimes it's going to take a bit of putting yourself in the position to read your Bible or spend time with God in prayer. Because with the running, the the trainers didn't automatically put themselves on my feet and the shorts didn't automatically go on your legs and the front door didn't automatically get opened. You had to make sure all those things were put in place to, to do that run. And it can be the same with your spiritual life sometimes. You need to, in every area of your life, prioritize God in the best way you can. There's the example of a fantastic guy in in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. A young king at a time where a lot of the kings were not good people and a lot of the kings led Israel in ways that weren't the right ways and that God wasn't happy with. And then this guy, this young boy, Josiah, came onto the throne. 2 Chronicles 34 verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or the left. In the eighth year of his reign, that would have been when he was 16, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. So by the time this guy's 16, he's He's king at eight, and he's not being persuaded away to the distractions to the right or to the left. And what a lesson that is for us. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, it said, and he he began to seek the God of his father David. From a guy who was aged eight to age 16, what brilliant lessons we can take in terms of putting God first. And Psalm 119 is another area where I can just quickly list things it says. Live according to your word, it says. Seek you with all my heart. It says, don't stray from your commands, O God. Hide your word in my heart, Lord. Meditate on your precepts. Do not neglect your word. Dedication to seeking God and putting him first. Yesterday, as we close... I worked at the Kilmarnock for, for a game. And when I was outside the edge of the stadium, I heard a Welsh accent. And I thought, why on earth is there a Welsh accent um, at a Kilmarnock for, for, for a game? And I went up and spoke to this guy and I said, we had a conversation. And it turned out this Welsh guy from a place called Pontypool down in the south of Wales had travelled a round trip of 788 miles just to watch Forfar. 
Anyone in this room would do that for forfer? Not a lot of people would do that for forfer, but this guy, for most forfer games throughout the season, and forfer's even further away, so if it's a home game, it's a 924-mile round, uh, round trip. He comes up, and he's married, and he's got, his kids are growing up now, but I was amazed at the dedication he had for forfer Athletic. And he said when he was married, um, he had a wedding car that had blue and white stripes on it because he was a forfer fan and all sorts of things that showed his dedication to forfer. And it's great that that guy does that and admired his, his passion for the club. But it really challenged me to think about my dedication for putting God first in my life. How much do I seek? That guy seeks forfer as much as he can with all his might, all his blood, sweat, and tears. He seeks forfer. Does everything he can to, to support them and follow them. And as I spoke to that guy yesterday and thought about speaking about this tonight, I thought, how much do I seek God? How much do I put myself in the position to seek God and his righteousness? And then I think back to that passage in Ephesians. And we'll finish where we started. Because if God has taken me to, from a position of being dead and useless in sin, to being made alive, united with Christ Jesus, thank you, Lord, for doing that. Thank you. How can I not put him first? How can I not be reassured to the point where I know that I don't need to worry? And how can I not put him above every other goal, every other object, every other person I have involved in my life. Seek God and his kingdom first.